So I'm finally going to do my episode on radiation therapy, radiotherapy, radiation therapy. And I've got to start by saying that I'm a pediatric oncologist. Now, when you're looking at treating cancer, you have chemotherapy people, you have surgeons, and you have radiation therapy people. And radiation therapy, or radiation oncologists, well... They're a particular whole specialty of medicine, totally separate specialty of medicine to what a paediatric oncologist is. So I come at this as someone who knows a bit about radiotherapy, but there are people who are super experts. When patients are having radiotherapy, they have a radiation oncologist who knows all about radiotherapy. Nonetheless, I think I can tell you some stuff that's uh, informative and pretty much accurate even. Now, we use radiotherapy in a lot of uh, different types of childhood cancer and leukemia. Uh, We use it in a small proportion of patients with leukemia. For instance, they can have cranial radiotherapy, radiotherapy to the brain, because the chemo drugs don't get into the brain well enough. Most patients don't need cranial radiotherapy for leukemia. We use it in a lot of brain tumors. We use it in a lot of sarcomas, such as rhabdomyosarcoma, uh, Ewing sarcoma. We use it in neuroblastoma, particularly in the high-risk forms. We use it in certain patients with Wilms tumour. There's a whole lot of different situations where we use radiotherapy. So what is radiotherapy? Well, radiotherapy is basically firing a radiation beam at a tumour. So if you think about an x-ray, when you have a basic x-ray to see if you've got a broken arm, you know how you put your arm there and the x-ray machine is above your arm and it fires an x-ray through your arm and onto the photographic plate behind it. So that's a form of radiation that's being given to get a good x-ray of your arm. Well, when we do radiotherapy, we're essentially doing something pretty similar, except the radiation that comes out of the x-ray machine is much, 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 much stronger in its dose. And there's going to be some difference in the particles and all of that, the things that physicists understand. It's a similar form of radiation that's being used, but it's in a much, 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 much higher dose. And the reason we give it is because it interferes with the DNA of the tumour and ends up killing cancer. So most of the time when we talk about using radiotherapy in the treatment of children with cancer, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a situation where the child is positioned properly on a bed, special bed usually, and where the radiotherapy machine is positioned in the exact right place, and then everyone leaves the room, and then the button gets pushed, and then the radiation is delivered for 15, 20, 30, 90 seconds, something like that. And then that's it. Usually it's done, though, every day for a period of weeks. So instead of firing this X-ray beam at the tumour in one big dose, the radiation oncologists have learnt that 
they're better off to give a smaller dose of radiation every day for a period of some weeks. That's called fractionation of radiotherapy. So they talk about giving the radiation in 30 fractions, for instance, or 15 fractions. That's called fractionation of radiotherapy. And they've worked out that that's a better thing to do to achieve better kill of the cancer and less damage to the surrounding tissues. So the key considerations that the radiation oncologist has to consider when they make a plan to give radiotherapy include the following. Firstly, they have to look at what type of tumour they're treating because some forms of cancer need higher doses of radiation than other forms of cancer. So Hodgkin's lymphoma, for instance, needs a lower dose of radiation than a sarcoma. And so a patient who's treated for Hodgkin's lymphoma might need a shorter course of radiotherapy than a patient who's being treated for a sarcoma. The other thing they have to look at is where is the tumour? Where exactly is the tumour? Their aim is to make sure that the radiotherapy hits the target. And in addition, they will normally want to hit the target with what we call a margin around it. So they might say the target is 5 centimetres in size. Well, they want to say a 1 or a 2 centimetre margin on every side of the tumour to make sure that they hit the tumour reliably, plus any microscopic amounts of cells that might have sort of moved into the adjoining tissues. So they want to give the right dose of radiation, and they want to make sure they hit the target. And then the next thing they want to do is try to minimise any effect on the normal tissues in the region. So they have to look at what are the surrounding normal tissues for the tumour, how much radiotherapy can those tissues handle? And is there a way to fire the radiation beam in a special direction or in a special way to try to avoid damaging normal tissues? And radiation oncologists know back to front what the different tolerances are of normal tissues. That's what they call it, the tolerance. So they will be able to tell you how much radiotherapy can the lung handle. How much can the spinal cord handle? How much can a kidney handle? Because they need to know these things, because if those tissues are going to be in the radiotherapy beam, they need to know what damage could be done to that organ. And in particular, they're going to be considering the acute toxicities, so what things go wrong during the radiotherapy and then in the weeks afterwards, and then what things are long-term toxicities from the radiotherapy? So years after the radiotherapy, will any damage have been done to the surrounding normal tissues? Will that be important or will it be manageable? And these long-term side effects are all the more important in children because children have many decades to live and so long-term side effects are very important. But also children are still growing and developing, and so effects of radiotherapy on normal structures can be all the more important. So I think it's fair to say that we who treat children with cancer, we always prefer to find a way not to use radiotherapy.
It worries me that the radiotherapy doctors might take that personally from time to time, but I don't think they do. I think we all prefer to find a way to cure children's cancer without the use of radiotherapy, but at the same time, we're very much aware that radiotherapy can be the critically important thing to do to cure certain types of childhood cancer. And when we use radiotherapy, we are generally using it on a background of large research studies that have been done to establish that, yes, indeed, radiotherapy of a certain dose and with a certain fractionation schedule is critically important to improving the chances of curing a particular form of childhood cancer. So again, the key considerations for the radiation oncologist are what type of tumour is it? And so what sort of dose of radiation is needed? Where is the tumour? And how can they design the radiotherapy beams to make sure that they hit the tumour? And what are the surrounding normal tissues? How much radiotherapy can they handle? What can be done to decrease the risk of acute short-term toxicities and of long-term toxicities? Next thing to mention is how they measure total radiation dose. Well, radiation dose is measured in things called GRAY, capital G-R-A-Y, GRAY. And, you know, we measure length in metres and we measure weight in kilograms or pounds. Well, we measure radiation in GRAY. Very often, they end up talking about centigray. So centigray is, I think, a hundredth of a gray. So, for instance, we might want to treat lymphoma and treat it with radiotherapy given every day for a couple of weeks to a total dose of 15 gray, or it might be 1,500 centigray. Or for a sarcoma, they might want to give a total dose of 45 gray, or 58 gray. So gray is the unit of measuring radiotherapy. If a child has to have radiotherapy to treat their cancer, then normally the first step would be with a consultation with the radiation oncologist. And so the radiation oncologist will meet with the patient and the family, examine them, and then go over the story, what chemotherapy they've already had, etc., They'll have looked at the pathology results, they'll look at all the scans, and then they can come up with a plan for the radiotherapy, normally in consultation with the rest of the team, with the oncologist, with the surgeon, all as part of a multidisciplinary process. Then they will proceed to what we call radiotherapy planning. See, it's not just a case of turning up and lying on the bed and eyeballing where the tumour is and saying, yeah, aim the beam there. It's much more sophisticated than this. So a radiotherapy planning session is performed. Then comes something called simulation. So oftentimes with children, they might even have a special bed made for them to lie in. So they'll mould a special bed that they lie in position in just to hold their body in the right position day after day after day. So this mould can be put on the radiotherapy table and then the patient can lie in that particular moulded bed for the radiotherapy so that every day they're in the exact right position. Sometimes they use a planning CT or MRI scan while they're in that bed. So they might lie in this special moulded bed and then a CT scan or an MRI scan is done in that exact bed 
and then the coordinates from that can be fed into the radiotherapy computers, etc., and then the computers can design where the beam should go and they can be sure that it'll hit the target and that it'll miss any normal organs that they're trying to avoid hitting. And it's all a very complicated and technical process. And so when it's not an emergency, the radiotherapy team might start on all of this weeks before the radiotherapy is actually due to start so that they can get all the planning done and the simulation done and they can run it through the computers and model everything and work out what dose is the tumour getting, what dose is the kidney getting, what dose is the leg getting, what dose is the eyeball getting. Whatever's important, they can model all of this stuff in a very technical fashion. This is the thing about radiotherapy doctors, I've found. They tend to be very exact people. They tend to be meticulous and detailed and exact people. And that's exactly how you want them. In addition to having some sort of planning bed or mould made, and sometimes they'll put markings on the skin, sometimes they put these little tattoos in place to make sure they can line up the machine properly the next day. There's all sorts of strategies to make sure that the patient is positioned exactly in the right position for every treatment. So often it's this planning phase and simulation phase that takes the longest as far as the patient's concerned. Once they get started on the treatment, oftentimes it's a case of turning up to the radiotherapy department, waiting your turn, then the radiotherapists, so you have the radiation oncologist who's the medical specialist in charge, and then you have the radiotherapists who are another group of healthcare professionals who are involved in putting the patient on the table, putting them in the mould, positioning them properly, making sure everything's set up, and then actually giving the radiotherapy. So when it's the patient's turn, they'll go to the room, be positioned, people leave the room, radiotherapy happens, and then that's usually it. And during the time of that treatment, pretty much nothing happens as far as what the patient's feeling. They don't suddenly feel a blast of heat or noise or pain or something like that. It's pretty much like having an x-ray uh, and then they can go home. So if you're a school kid, it may be that radiotherapy can be done to happen after school each day or before school each day because this might go on for weeks. Uh, there are schedules of radiotherapy that involve having a treatment every day, Monday to Friday for six weeks. There's some conditions that's shorter than that. It might be two or three weeks. And the patient can go back to school if they feel all right otherwise. It's not like they're made radioactive by this. Their tumour is being treated with radiation, but it doesn't leave the patient radioactive in any sort of a way. So the rest of the family don't have to worry that they're going to be exposed to radiation from this process or that the kids in the classroom or on the train are all going to be exposed to radiation. It's not like that. Now, a special situation arises pretty often in paediatrics, and that's with the fact that children just won't lie still for stuff. And in particular, children won't lie still for stuff as all the other people leave the room and leave them abandoned for a few minutes. So for younger children, very often we actually have to give the child a general anaesthetic every day for their radiotherapy. You can imagine, this is a major undertaking. But that's what we have to do in paediatrics. So oftentimes we have children that are four or five or seven or six who need to have a general anaesthetic every day for, say, six weeks of radiotherapy. And so for those situations, the child will normally need to have a central line 
even if they didn't have one already for chemotherapy because the anaesthetic team will need a central line to give this daily anaesthetic. Now in our unit, those patients are normally treated first thing in the morning because children have to fast before they have a general anaesthetic. You know, you're not allowed to eat or drink for so many hours before a general anaesthetic. And so the idea is to do the general anaesthetic patients first thing in the morning so they don't have to go hungry all day waiting for their general anaesthetic. Now those anaesthetics are only a light general anaesthetic and a very brief general anaesthetic. It's not like the anaesthetic you need before you have major surgery and people cut the skin and cut the bones and all of that. This is just one that's light enough to make them lie still in position for a matter of a few minutes and then wake up again. Next I want to talk about some of the side effects of radiotherapy. And the thing to remember about radiotherapy is that if we fire a radiation beam at a tumour, suppose it's a tumour in the abdomen. Well, the radiotherapy has to go in through the skin, then it has to go through whatever is in the way in front of the tumour, then it hits the tumour, then it goes through the tumour, and then it keeps going out the other side and then out the skin on the other side. So we have to consider everything that's in the path of the beam that's going to be hit by the radiotherapy and consider what effect will the radiation have on those structures. So you can imagine that's why the radiation oncologist is looking for the best beam that they can give that decreases the risk of damaging normal tissues in front of and behind the tumour. So First, we should talk about acute side effects. So these are the side effects that happen during radiotherapy and in the several weeks afterwards. And for these side effects, it's really going to depend on the location of the tumour. And so what are the normal tissues that are also receiving radiation? So it's going to depend very much on where is the tumour and so what other tissues are being irradiated. For instance, if we were treating a tumour in the head or neck somewhere, it may be that the radiotherapy beam also hits the lining of the mouth, for instance. And if that's the case, then we can expect mouth ulcers to develop after a few weeks of radiotherapy. If the tumour is in the abdomen, and if we're using a high dose, it may be that the radiotherapy beam hits the intestines and can cause some inflammation of the intestines. If we're treating a brain tumour, it may be that the patient develops some nausea and feels a bit sick. So it all depends on the location of the tumour and what are the normal structures that are also being irradiated as far as causing short-term side effects. And the radiation oncologist will go over all of this with the patient and the family. What's the risk? what might happen and when it might happen. In the most severe cases, we can get very severe mouth ulcers and need the patient to be on artificial nutrition for a while with certain head and neck cancers. On the other hand, at certain other locations, say in the arm or the leg, we might not see that much in the way of short-term side effects. We might see the skin going red, a bit like getting sunburnt, I suppose, but we might not see much more than that as far as short-term side effects are concerned. So it all depends on the location of the tumour and the total radiation dose 
that's going to be given. Next, though, I want to talk about long-term side effects of radiotherapy. And these are the ones that we really agonize over a lot. These are the ones that make us wish we didn't have to give radiotherapy at all to children. Like I said, children are still growing and developing, and so we don't like to interfere with normal growth and development. And again, the sort of long-term side effects that may develop, or may be at risk of developing, will depend on the location of the tumour, so the area of the body that's receiving radiation, and on what is the total dose of radiotherapy to be given. But as a general rule, I think we can say that we worry that the surrounding tissues around the tumour may not develop and grow as well as they should have. So if a patient has to have radiotherapy to the knee, for instance, at a young age, well, it may be that that growth in that part of the leg doesn't occur properly, and so the patient could end up with one leg shorter than the other. If the patient receives radiotherapy to the face, then part of the face may not match the other side and cause a cosmetic problem. Radiotherapy to, say, the kidney may mean that that kidney doesn't work as well as the kidney on the other side. And so it's for all of these reasons that radiation oncologists and pediatric oncologists are always considering the long-term side effects of radiotherapy and balancing that against the need to give the radiotherapy to cure the cancer. And oftentimes we'll go to great lengths to find a surgical solution to dealing with a tumour and try to avoid the use of radiotherapy. But in some situations, radiation therapy is the best way to cure the particular cancer. A particularly important site that we often need to use radiotherapy for is the brain, and in particular in the treatment of certain brain tumours. And in some situations, the radiotherapy just has to be given to the area of the tumour, but there's some other brain tumours, like medulloblastoma, where we have to give radiotherapy to the site of the tumour, plus radiation therapy to the whole brain and spine. Now, in very young children, under the age of three years or maybe five years, we may elect just not to use that radiation therapy because of the impact it can have on the brain. But in older children, we need to use craniospinal radiotherapy, and that's involving radiotherapy to the whole brain and spine, and that can have its own set of problems associated with, and they're ones that the radiation oncologists will normally want to talk about with the family in some detail. But certainly craniospinal radiotherapy is a critical component of treating medulloblastoma in the older child. So the question of long-term side effects of radiotherapy is a critically important one and one that a detailed discussion with the radiation oncologist will normally cover. One of the things that the radiation oncologist will normally talk about is the risk of causing a second tumour with the radiotherapy. We know that radiation can cause a heightened risk of developing another tumour later in life. How great is that risk? Well, again, it's going to depend on a number of factors. It's going to depend on the location of the tumour, the dose of radiotherapy used. There's a whole lot of considerations there. But it is true that patients who have had radiotherapy for one malignancy will have 
a somewhat higher risk of getting a further cancer later in life. Now, it might be 10 years later or 20 years later. And again, this is one of the reasons we're always looking for an alternative to using radiotherapy. We're always looking for a way to use surgery or chemotherapy, if we can, to cure a given cancer. But in many situations, radiotherapy is the key way to cure the existing cancer. Now, next up, I want to talk about some of the different radiotherapy techniques. The main one I've been talking about so far is that form of radiotherapy where the machine is outside the body, fires the beam into the tumour, and then it goes out the other side. So that's called external beam radiotherapy. External beam radiotherapy. It's also called teletherapy. You know, like telephone, television, but teletherapy. But nobody uses that term much. So external beam radiotherapy. That'd be the one we're mostly talking about when we talk about radiotherapy. Now, there's all sorts of sophisticated techniques that have been developed to try to localise the beam on the tumour better and try to minimise the dose to the surrounding tissues. So there's something called IMRT, Intensity Modulated Radiotherapy. There's something called Conformal Radiotherapy. There's something called Stereotactic Radiotherapy and something called Gamma Knife. And some of these techniques are combinations of beams that fire from all different directions all converging on the tumour, and so the surrounding tissues only ever get a lower dose of radiotherapy than they would have otherwise. So if you can imagine firing a beam at a target from one angle, and then from another angle, and from another angle, and from another angle, and all the beams converging on the target, well, that's got advantages for giving a big high dose to the target, but the surrounding tissues are getting lower doses. So these are all specialised forms of external beam radiotherapy and some of them are in fairly routine use and some of them are ultra-specialised techniques. Again, these are things to talk to the experts about the radiation oncologists. Another one is called brachytherapy. Brachytherapy. So teletherapy, tele means from a distance, like television and telephone, and brachy means short in Greek, I think. So brachytherapy involves a totally different approach to treating the tumour. In brachytherapy, they actually put radioactive things into the tumour. So, for instance, they might feed some hollow tubes into the tumour or hollow needles into the tumour and then put radioactive pellets down those tubes to sit in the tumour for a period of time and then be removed. And that's called brachytherapy. And it might be they put these pellets down into the tumour twice a day or every day uh, for a number of days, for instance. That's called brachytherapy. It's used a lot in adult prostate cancer, and it's a very, very specialised technique. And, you know, there's only you know, a handful of centres around the world that would routinely be doing paediatric brachytherapy. But in some situations, it's the way to go because it's a way to give a high dose of radiation to the tumour while avoiding radiotherapy to surrounding tissues to a greater degree. That's called brachytherapy, super-specialised business. Another super-specialised technique is intraoperative radiotherapy. Now, this is really not very commonly used, but there are situations people have reported in the literature where they've actually performed the radiotherapy during surgery. 
And so this was a way to deliver the radiotherapy exactly onto the target in some particular situation. Another one that people talk about a lot now is protons, protons for radiotherapy. When you use normal external beam radiotherapy, most of the time you're using photons, P-H-O-T-O-N-S, photons, the same thing that make up light, but they're higher energy particles, photons. Well, protons are different. Protons are available at a handful of centers around the United States and Europe. Protons have this advantage where they'll go in through the skin, get to the target, and then deliver all of their energy into the target, but the exit beam dose, the dose as it goes back out through the other side, isn't as great. I don't understand it very well, but it seems like you can set the protons to deliver their energy at a certain depth, and so you set that depth to be where the tumour is, and therefore reduce the radiation dose to the tissues as the protons exit the body. So that's the advantage of protons, as I understand it. Now, they're not widely available, and I think it's fair to say that in paediatric oncology, we're still trying to work out if they offer a particular benefit in most situations. And the discussion will always be around, does it improve the chances of curing the cancer? And does it affect the risk of long-term side effects? And in certain locations, it seems pretty clear that protons do offer an advantage, but in a lot of other situations, it's not clear that protons offer an advantage over traditional external beam radiotherapy or external beam radiotherapy delivered with these more modern techniques that I talked about. Those proton machines are hugely expensive things, of course, and uh, that's why there's only a limited number of facilities around. The last thing I want to mention as far as using radiation to treat tumours is treatment of certain tumours with injections of radioactive isotopes. So the radiotherapy I've talked about so far is delivered by doctors called the radiation oncologists. Well, there's certain other tumour types where we can inject a radioactive isotope into the bloodstream and then that will be taken up by the tumour and help to kill the cancer. These ones are normally given by the nuclear medicine team. So remember the nuclear medicine team they're the people that do bone scans and MIBG scans and radionuclide kidney scans, etc. That's nuclear medicine. Well, for instance, in neuroblastoma, we know that neuroblastomas selectively take up a compound called MIBG that's radioactive. Well, instead of just using MIBG to do a scan, we can inject a high dose of MIBG and then that can be taken up by the neuroblastoma and help to kill the cancer. So that's an example of an, an injected radioisotope being used to deliver radiotherapy selectively to the tumour. There's only a few such examples in paediatric oncology where we do this and it's a longer discussion to talk about the particular situations. But I just mention it now. So I think I'll leave it there with radiation therapy. Again, has a whole specialty of medicine devoted to the delivery of radiotherapy. Radiation therapy is critically important to curing a number of childhood cancers. 
We don't like having to use radiotherapy. We don't like the long-term side effects that it brings sometimes. And we're often looking for a way to avoid those side effects. But like I said, it's often critically important to curing a particular form of childhood cancer. The particular risks of any complications need to be discussed with the radiation oncology team, looking at the particular child, what age they are, where the tumour is located, what dose of radiotherapy will be needed, etc. So a detailed discussion will generally take place. Thanks for listening in to Understanding Childhood Cancer. Remember, we have a Facebook page. You can leave some comments or questions or clarification requests there. But for now, I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.